Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. My name's Scott Jennison. I'm the Acquisitions Manager here at Streamline Property Buyers in Brisbane. Um, and it's always great to have a guest on. And um, this will be a good conversation today. Um, Bushy Martin, welcome, Bushy. Thank you, Scott. Thanks, Melinda. Great to see you again. I, I really enjoyed our uh, catch up at the recent Pippa conference in in Sydney. And and before we get into it, uh, congratulations from grabbing the baton on Reba, uh, Melinda. Uh, it's a really important uh, group that that a bit like the finance breaking industry really needs to uh, carry the banner to continue to lift the the standards and maintain the code of conduct of the professionalism of the industry. So, uh, you know, I've got a lot of respect and admiration for you because there's a lot of work in that. And uh, from the chats we've already had, uh, you're exactly the right person for the job. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bushy. And um, and welcome back, everybody, to another episode. Uh, Bushy needs no introduction, but for those that don't know who he is or, or where he's come from, um, maybe maybe you've not been in the property investment space for very long, but Bushy Martin is an award-winning property investment expert. We're, we're really excited to have him on today. He's also the founder of Know How Property. This is an organization that um, uh, some would say is the John West of property investment. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, Bushy's also a podcast host on Get Invested and Reality Talk. Um, he's authored two books, the first is called The Freedom Formula and the second, Get Invested. Bushy Martin is also a media commentator, a speaker, and of course, um, he walks the talk. He is a property investor as well. So we are really excited to be sharing some of his experience with our audience today. Um, we're going to get right into it. It's always nice to have uh, someone that is also a, a property investor and and I'm going to let in another little secret there that Melinda didn't talk about, Bushy. You told me earlier you had 15 years, I think it was, as an architect and myself being a builder, I won't hold that against you at all, mate. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll chat as friends. How about that? You are, as, I, as I said off air, uh, Scotty, uh, the uh, it, architects are never, never normally called in the singular. It's it's normally effing architect uh, when they get referred to in this country. So, uh so I, I still bear the scars of that 17-year uh, legacy, mate, but I'm uh, live to tell a tale. I'm sure you've moved on. Now, Bushy, your business, Know How Property Finance, I believe. Um, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit more? What do you guys do? Give me a little bit of a, an overview sort of thing of your business. Yeah, well, I, I guess uh, just stepping back a little bit before that, uh, the, the reason we started the business in the first place, uh, Scott Melinda, is that uh, I guess there's been a growing awareness uh, both from our own personal experience, so myself and my wife Sonia, who are very much like both of you, we we work, you know, we're we're partners in everything in life, mm -hmm. uh, both in the business and and outside. And we uh, started our own uh, serious property investing journey uh, nearly twenty five years ago now. And what's become really evident uh, as we've gone through the journey, both from our own experience, but but also working with others is that the, the finance space in particular can make or break uh, the capacity, uh, the cash flow risk and achievements in the exercise. Uh, but what's grown in addition to that is that uh, a growing awareness that a lot of investors in particular have no clue on the strategy that they need to adopt. So we built a very dedicated strategy arm that looks at not just property strategy because the property 
uh, and our belief comes at the end of the equation. You need to get your lifestyle strategy first in terms of how much you want to live and what that costs. Then you pair that with the finance strategy and the structure that you put around that because that has a big impact on capacity, on cost, and on risk. And then the property strategy falls out of the bottom end of those if you've spent enough time getting that right. So that's an important part of what we're doing. We've got uh, some really exceptional finance brokers on the team. Uh, we, we're very fussy about who we let into the know-how family. And uh, they, they are absolutely exceptional in their own right as far as that goes because, as I've already said, the finance piece, uh, I think property is a game of finance. If you don't get the finance right, then you can be hamstringing yourself in all sorts of directions without even knowing it if you don't go in with your eyes open. And I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about that later on. Uh, but the the other part of the business has grown uh, uh, more by necessity than by design. Uh, is uh, what I call the John Wester property that you've already mentioned, because um, sadly, I've seen a lot of so-called uh, property professionals who are more interested in lining their own back pockets than putting the right solution in front of both property buyers and investors. Uh, so we've really uh, built a, a process around almost providing a second letter, level of due diligence to keep buyers, agents and other players in the game honest to make sure that what's actually being proposed is in the truly in the best interests of the the investor and the and the property buyer. So that's pretty much the compliment. The the finance piece is the centerpiece of what we do. That that's what we do really well. But the the strategy piece and the the John West piece are the bits that have sort of grown out of a a growing awareness of the need to try and help investors. And I, and it's fair to say I'm on a mad mission to wake up and shake up as many hardworking Aussies as I possibly can to see the real opportunity that investing in property can give them to both secure and sustain their life long term. It's worked beautifully for my wife Sonia and I. And now we, we're just wanting to help as many others do exactly the same thing and get them motivated and inspired to actually take the action to secure their future down the track. I, I can tell, Bushy, just, just the way you talk, you're passionate about what you do. And as you said, getting those results for the client, not for your own back pocket. Um, you know, when you talk, you mentioned there being a part of the know-how family. And, and that's the sort of thing that, you know, that people you do miss some days in business having that family sort of base and having the client come involved and care about that the client, not so much yourself. Um, and obviously being involved with with your wife, Sonia. Just a quick question on that one. Who's the boss? <laughs> My wife, Sonia's always the boss. You yeah. should know. Okay, it's good. Not. It's the same. You didn't need to ask that well. question. <laughs> good answer. Very safe answer. Happy wife, happy life. <laughs> exactly. Um, I would. I, I just wanted to to sort of circle back to your comments on investment strategy and ensuring that the finance strategy is aligned with the individual's investment strategy. Um, this is obviously something that we also care a lot about. We're not the sort of buyers agents that just take a brief and then go out and take that brief to the market, but ensuring people are set up in a, a way that's also tax effective. So we talk about the tax strategy, the finance strategy, and the investment strategy all being interrelated. And if property investors, even home buyers that, that may not be purchasing their forever home, if they're coming to us and they haven't asked themselves these questions, these are the questions that we would be asking them and then we would be referring them to go and get this specific advice. So if you're partnering with a buyer's agent who's not asking these questions, um, perhaps that's the first red flag. Um, you mentioned also, Bushy, that a big part of your business is um, doing an extra layer of uh, due diligence on buyers agents that might be recommending properties for your clients. You know, it saddens me to hear that that's become a necessary part of your scope because as the president of REBA, what we as an organization and an association strive for 
is ethical conduct and best practice within the industry. And I would hope that there's no REBA members that are having to, or that don't pass that, that test of that extra layer of due diligence. But obviously a lot has changed in that buyer's agent space over the last few years. Um, what's been your experience um, that's caused you to introduce that extra layer of due diligence within your business? Yeah, two things, Melinda. Uh, I think one, there's a very low uh, barrier to entry in the uh, buyer's agent space. And it's very similar to the finance broking space. Uh, uh, only we're probably 10 years ahead in terms of the maturity of the industry. Because uh, I know that uh, when I first got involved in the broking industry, I, I partnered up with some a couple of very experienced and expert financial gurus. Uh, so that I could learn everything that I needed to do to advance my own understanding of that whole piece. But at the time, you could be a, uh, a panel beater yesterday and a, a finance breaker tomorrow, and, and the, there was a lot of ex-AFL footballers who who were pretty good at handballing the, the footy but uh, couldn't even spell finance but were calling themselves brokers. Uh, that was a pretty sad outcome, and the, the, the level of investment in their education and knowledge was pretty sad. And sadly, I, I'm seeing a, a, a fair bit of that in the buyer's agency space. Uh, and I'm, I guess the, the frustrating thing uh, for me around that is that there's a lot of uh, fairly high profile, uh, high media exposure buyer's agents that are on massive growth curves. You know, I mean, they've got massive teams. Uh, and having experienced the, the exercise with a number of those, uh, there's a, a growing reliance on data. Uh, and as you and I both know, data is important, but there's a there's an art piece to the property side that's not just science, and that intuitive knowledge and understanding of what happens on the ground at the the local coalface, uh, because a perception of an area is going to have as big an impact on property performance as the actual bricks and mortar itself. So I, I'm seeing there's a lot of these national uh, do anything anywhere crowds that that talk a really good story and they'll bury you in kilos of information that often sort of justify their own own narrative. But when it comes to the crunch and you see the quality of the properties that are being put up and then, then a fair bit of pressure applied uh, to buyers and investors to say yes to that property very quickly, then then I have some major concerns. And I, you know, I, I don't want to go too much off track, but I, I think to some degree... Uh, the business model around a lot of buyers agencies is a little bit flawed because uh, when you're relying on a percentage of the purchase price, uh, immediately there's a, a, a subtle uh, influence there that you're not going to negotiate as hard because you're also clipping your own ticket uh, on the way through. Uh, so I think that's a bit of a, a problem uh, from that perspective. Uh, but also, a lot of buyers agents don't get paid until the property's settled, which means that, again, there's a, an invisible pressure to do it quickly because if you don't settle and buy a property, you don't get paid. Mm -hmm. So I, I think at some point in time, and, and the, the finance industry has been through a similar evolution over time to make it much fairer and, and you know, the best interests of the we, – we now have a bid duty, the best interests of the client duty that's enshrined in legislation that means we have to do that. Uh, to, to shake the tree and get rid of the rubbish. I, I think the buyer's agents industry will inevitably go through the same process. But at the same time, uh, there are some very good buyer's agents out there. Mm. 
Uh, and it's it's the same in the finance industry. Some very good finance brokers out there who do an exceptional job. Uh, it's the it's the rubbish that that tarnishes the reputation for the good ones. And and uh, there's good and bad in that though, because that means that the good ones stick out of the crowd, uh, and the point of difference becomes very obvious pretty quickly when you start dealing with them. Uh, uh, but I think what will happen as the the industry tightens and improves, a, a lot of those pretenders will disappear because they just won't survive. Bushy, when when you talk about that, and we've heard it obviously being involved in the industry, and people say oh, how much experience you've got, things like that. What sort of things would you probably look for when you start to look at buyers agents, for example? And we know that you know there, there's Reba, um, obviously as, as a body there to to help help the consumer. There's also Pepper, um, that side of things qualifications and those types of things, are they the sort of things you look for especially? Uh, they are a starting point, uh, Scott. Uh, so, I, you know, I'd, I've there's 37 questions that we ask a buyer's agents before we'll even consider whether they're worth taking any further. Did I get two? Um, <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm happy to shoot you a copy of that. I, we, we give it to our clients now if because we, we encourage clients to actually talk directly, but we arm them with the questions that they need to ask to get a, a level of a comfort around that. So, yes, the professional uh, associations are an important foundation stone, no question. So if someone's not a member of REBA, for example, in the buyer's agency space, well, that's a big red flag straight off the bat because I know you've got a code of conduct and I know that you have to be referred into REBA by an existing buyer's agent before you're even going to be considered. So there's a level of protection that starts to build into that. But beyond that, uh, we go right back to fundamentals and we ask buyer's agents, what are your personal values? Mm -hmm. Because those personal values in terms of what they believe and how they conduct themselves will ultimately flow through into the way they look after buyers and investors. Uh, and, you know, without boring you with the, the ultimate uh, degree here, uh, some of the questions that we ask, do you have PI insurance, uh, is some of the, the obvious things because, again, if they don't and there's a problem, then that's that's going to be an issue for the investor. Uh, but little things like uh, what are your conflict of interest policies? Because if you're dealing with a uh, buyer's agent uh, and they've got two competing briefs for exactly the same uh, price point and the same uh, style of property in the same area, how are they going to manage that? Uh, so it's interesting, interesting to see how they uh, work through that. But I, we'll, we'll actually get buyer's agents to take us through their process from end to end and treat us as a buyer and talk about what happens when and who does what. Uh, and that's going through the whole research, search, selection, negotiating and post-settlement process to really understand uh, what it's about. Uh, so that we can then benchmark that with what's happening uh, elsewhere. But the ultimate test really is to ask a buyer's agent, I want to talk to some of your past and current clients who, who are looking for a similar property to ourselves and talk about them off air uh, so that they can give you the good, bad and ugly on uh, what the actual performance has been. And importantly, but particularly with the explosion of buyer's agents in the last uh, two or three years and the, and the number that keep referring to the, uh, you know, the the property boom we went through post-pandemic uh, was the second highest uh, boom in the country in the 230-year history of the country. And I get sick of hearing buyers agents saying, oh, we, we've had a 30% growth in the value of properties in the last two years. Well, anyone with a pulse would have done that. Yeah. Uh, I'm more interested in longer-term performance uh, to see how those exercises have gone and also asking the, the buyer's agent, uh, what's your portfolio look like? 
what properties have you invested in? What what criteria have you used? How have those properties performed? Because if they're telling you to do something they haven't done themselves, then there's a, there's another flashing light there for us. So yeah, I could bore you senseless with this for for the next half an hour, uh, but but it's the old story. You need to ask the right questions and then really listen for the answers. And and unfortunately, most people in every industry only generally ask one thing, and that is how much do you charge? Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's not the right question for people to be asking. And you've referenced things like, you know, do they charge a commission or a fixed fee? Uh, complete transparency, streamlined property buyers are a fixed fee agency. You've referenced things like are they uh, qualified with property, uh, sorry, professional indemnity insurance? What is their uh system or process where they may have a conflicting brief. There's so many things that you've included in your checklist of um, questions to ask that a REBA member, that is the Real Estate Buyers Agents Association of Australia, must comply with to qualify for membership. So maybe we could cut your question list from, you know, did you say it's 37 questions? Maybe we could cut that down to, to 20 if they have ticked the box that they're a REBA member because in order to qualify, it's not pay your money and you're into the association. As you've pointed out, there is a qualifying process. And quite remarkably, we process a number of applications uh, through REBA and some of the biggest brands that might be out there in the industry do not meet our uh, code of conduct, nor do they meet the current licensing requirements within each state that they operate in. This is alarming. This is research that REBA is undertaking right now to be able to quantify the actual volume of this. But there in itself is a huge issue. If people are not licensed to be doing the job that you have engaged them to do and all of their employees licensed within the state that they are operating in, that is a huge red flag. And this is a big revelation that consumers must understand. So work with a REBA accredited member and you will not expose yourself to this risk. Well, it's interesting when you talk about that and a little story of our background, obviously, is um, I, I'm, a, I'm a builder. I come from a construction background and, you know, I know when I had a, had a go to about the architect side of it, um, one of the things that when Melinda suggested when we actually start this business and, and I said, I'm just a builder, I, I can't do that. I'm not a buyer's agent, but it's interesting when people, you know, we talk about qualifications and things like that. The amount of people that, you know, I can look at things from a builder's point of view and it's because the house is a building. I mean, that's, to me, it's it's second nature. But after having, um, I won't give how many years I was in the building industry, but I think it was probably 40, 45 years. So <laughs> whatever it was, it seems like a long time. Um, but it, it's just differences like that. And as you said, with your 37 questions, with the qualifications, all those types of things, it's a massive investment for people to invest into property, whether it's your home or it's an investment property you can make a lot of mistakes. So they're the sort of things that you want to make sure you tick all these boxes first before you start to spend money on things. And I love, I totally having, agree. I love having those conversations with our investors and um, they say, is this a good suburb to invest in? And, and then we are confident enough to say, well, Scott and I are personally invested in this suburb. We own one just around the corner. So we've put, put our money behind, you know, where our recommendations are as well. I'd love to tackle uh, another issue and, and something that, you know, talks to your strength, if that's okay, Bushy. Sure. Interest rates. We've seen another 0.25% increase this month. Why is it that property buyers should not focus purely on obtaining the lowest interest rate when they are looking to go out and obtain finance for a purchase? Can you talk us through that, please? Absolutely, uh, a favourite subject, uh, Melinda. So you, you'll you'll have to gag me on this one. 
but uh, you know, I've said for years that uh, most banks and and sadly a lot of brokers focus on the lowest common denominator, and and that is interest rate because it's an easy conversation. It, mm. It's something that uh, people can get their heads around, uh, but it's a tip of the iceberg, and and often. Uh, people who just focus on rate get themselves into what I call shagulator loans. So you might get a cheap rate now, but you don't know what the ingoing, ongoing, outgoing uh, fees and the impacts of offset accounts and everything else are. But also the structure around uh, the exercise is important as well because a lot of banks and and quite a few of the broken fraternity will cross-securitise all of your debt against all of your properties. I don't tell you that. Uh, it's written in very fine print, but it n- never really gets discussed. And people don't find out until it's way too late just how bad that exercise is. So you know, let me give you a, a really quick example of that. We we had someone who came to us a couple of years ago now who had a home in Perth and an investment property in a regional area. Uh, they went to sell uh, their home because they wanted to move to another property in Perth. And uh, without realising that it was cross-securitised, as soon as they signed a contract, a sale contract on the home, that triggered a revaluation of all of their property because it was cross-securitised. Uh, because the regional uh, investment property they bought had actually dropped in value, in fact, the value of the property was less than the loan, the bank wouldn't let them actually sell the home. It, st- it stopped the sale because it... it they, it exposed them to much higher risk. So uh, there's a lot of issues around that, and I, and I could I could talk for half an hour just on that subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, making sure you get the structure right is key because if you get the structure right, it'll in, increase your borrowing capacity, it will reduce your cost, and it will significantly reduce your risk. And again, one of the things I see a lot of people in the property space focus on is the reward, but they don't think about the risk. Mm. So, you know, I've, I've always been one of those who plans for the worst and then expects for the best. And if you if you know you've got structures and protections around you for the worst possible situation, you can sleep easy because you know that if that's going to happen, then you, you, you've got something in play that's going to cover you for that. So uh, the, the trap of the low rate uh, means that you're not thinking about all of those broader issues and I think the the uh, whether you're a home buyer or an investor, you're missing the point if you focus on rate because the biggest and most limited resource as a property buyer, if you're having to borrow any money to do it, and, and most people do, is not the rate, it's borrowing capacity. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, there's a, would you believe, across the 40-odd lenders that our know-how broking team uh, uh, work with, there's a 55% variation uh, across those lenders in terms of how much you can borrow. Now, if you've got the the equity contribution, that's the difference between being able to secure a $500,000 property and a $775,000 property. And if you're holding onto that property for 20 years or so, the difference based on exactly the same growth rate over that time is going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars, about $700,000 roughly in, in real terms. So by chasing the low rate today, big issue because you, you're clipping your wings in terms of capacity. But the other thing, and why I call them shagulator loans, is that quite a lot of the lenders will offer a cheap rate to get you in. It's the old bait and switch trick. Uh, and then you'll get rate creep that doesn't even get talked about uh, down the track. And all of a sudden, in a couple of years' time, the, the rates on those particular loans are much higher than something that might have been a slightly higher rate at the outset. Uh, but has maintained its consistency. And then there's, you're also missing the point on other great 
um, uh, savings mechanisms like uh, offset accounts that can literally slice years off the loan term and save you tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in interest uh, over the period. And, the, and there's still some lenders that will allow you uh, to have offset accounts on fixed rate loans, not just variable loans. So, so again, if you just focus on that one simple exercise, yes, it's easy because you know people are, are, are concerned that if they ask a, a dumb question, they're going to feel dumb. Uh, but uh, don't make the mistake of just focusing on rates. You're really hamstringing your uh, capacity and the and the risks associated with this demo trade. Such good points that you're making, Bushy. And I must admit, in any property buyer that partners with us, whether they are an investor or a home buyer, we talk about um, what type of mortgage they have set up. And a lot of people do come to us already with a pre-approval. I would say more than 60 to 70% of the people that I sit down with in an, um, a property investment strategy session we encourage them to go back to their mortgage broker to get structure advice because they've come with the lowest interest rate. The structure may not be tax effective. They might still have personal debt and they're set up to pay down investment debt. There's so many ways that I see as a property investment advisor that it may not be aligned with their best interests, but obviously we can't provide that advice. We need to rely on them going back to their mortgage broker and the number of mortgage brokers, which is alarming, that do not understand the implications of structure, it really does, um, you know, raise a lot of red flags within the industry, in my opinion. Obviously, there's a lot of very investment savvy mortgage brokers uh, like your firm. And then there's others that really don't understand what it takes to get the right structure and the right outcome for a client. Not today, but 10 years from now, 15 years from now. And that's a big concern that I have for the industry as a whole, because we work holistically with the advisors around the individual when they come to us. But quite often the advice they're getting, it comes from a place of inexperience in investment and in recommending the right strategy for clients long-term. So um, it's just an interesting observation that, you know, I absolutely concur with what you're saying. Yeah, it all comes back to asking the right questions and and looking at the the whole picture, not just a small piece of the picture. Mm. Uh, because you know, you mentioned pre-approvals. Well, uh, a lot of the pre-approvals that are provided by some of the lenders aren't worth the paper they're written on because mm. they've not done no real assessment. So there's a almost a, a false sense of security that's created by that because when it comes to the crunch, if it hasn't gone through a full assessment process, uh, then uh, you can put your hand up at an auction or. or uh, put your name on a contract to buy a property and suddenly find out that uh, that uh, system-generated pre-approval hasn't looked at your financial position at all and suddenly you're in a world of pain uh, trying to get something to work. So there's there's it's it's like everything. It's It all comes back to taking that holistic view and asking the right questions to understand the, the full picture and building it out on paper first before you even start to look at the property. I always say the property is the last thing you look at, not the first thing you look at. Absolutely. Get all the other ducks in a row. Uh, be really confident around how this thing is going to shape up both from a growth and from a cash flow perspective uh, before you even start looking at properties. But uh, sadly, most investors, the first thing they do when they look at property and, and home buyers, and, and I often say a home buyer is an investor too, by the way. Of course. Uh, don't, don't fool yourself into thinking you're buying a home, so therefore it's not investment. Uh, 55% of the wealth of the Australians is held in their home. Uh, so it is an investment. So treat it that way and 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 take that sort of thorough approach to make sure you're protecting yourself down the track. 
Yeah, couldn't agree any more than that. Biggest mistakes, Bushy. What's something I know we don't, we don't want to scare all our listeners with with all the things we talk about because obviously investing in property, I think, is a fantastic thing and can actually set you up for life and retirement. Um, totally. What's the biggest mistakes you sort of see investors make? We've touched on some of them already. Uh, you know, the, the biggest mistake I think is focusing on the property first. Uh, as I say, that that's the last thing. So get your strategy right. Uh, look at your capacity from the finance perspective. Uh, assemble the right team around you, and then and only then start to look at the property because you you'll have, you've crunched the numbers, you've built it on paper, and you know how things are going to shape. So you've got confidence around what to offer and where to offer. Uh, so that's one of the the first things that I would uh, suggest around the mistakes that they make. Uh, the other things uh, I think uh, increasingly. Uh, way too many people listen to the nightly news and uh, the, the scare factor and the, the fear factories that are out there in terms of really putting p- people in a position where they'd never do anything in property uh, is a, a major mistake. So be very careful about where you get your information and focus on people who have done it and are doing it, not not on uh, so-called uh, experts or self-proclaimed experts who probably haven't done anything in that space whatsoever and therefore the, the information is is cautionary. The other thing that I uh, see people making a big mistake in at stake on is is chasing the the so called hotspots that very quickly become not spots because if everyone's talking about them in the press, it's probably too late anyway. Uh, our view is uh, if we if we take the reverse exercise and look at what's the purchase price that you can comfortably afford, and I'm not talking about. Uh, just the spend, but I'm also talking about what's the cash flow of that property going to be once every cost involved in purchasing and holding the property is factored in. So you know that it's going to be sustainable long-term. And then find the location around the country that has, if you're going for growth, and and most uh, property buyers, whether they're home buyers or investors, are looking for growth, particularly in the early stages when they're accumulating their nest egg. There's 15-odd thousand suburbs out there uh, and we need to be even more careful now than what we were pre-COVID because, you know, as we talked about earlier, we've seen this massive increase in property values in that 18 months post-COVID. Uh, that means that there's a lot of locations that unless they've got new and ongoing growth drivers, and I, I like to talk about the three eyes of infrastructure, uh, industry diversity, and strong and growing incomes, uh, that are going to drive the ongoing performance of those uh, areas, then chasing a hotspot is going to be the worst thing you can possibly do. Great advice. And I think that, you know, a lot of what you're saying is completely aligned with our approach here at Streamline Property Buyers. You talk about investors understanding, you know, the cash flow on a property. Um, again, in a strategy session and prior to any purchase, our investors would receive a full uh, cash flow investment analysis, which not only includes the way they've structured their finance and the interest rate that they're looking at, um, it includes the projected weekly rent based on rental appraisals that we obtain from independent property managers, but it also includes allowances for the costs associated with holding the asset outside of interest, things like council rates, property management fees, um, insurance, even a maintenance allowance. So we can give confidence in our buyers or give confidence to our buyers that this is a worst case scenario. We're even allowing for vacancy rates that are higher than the current levels so that we assume that the property is going to be vacant for at least 2 or 3% of the time, even though vacancy rates at the suburb level might be less than 1%. So a worst case scenario gives investors confidence. So again, if you're choosing a buyer's agent and they're not going to provide this level of due diligence before you're making an investment, 
decision, again, proceed with caution simply because property investment is about the numbers. It's not about the the color of the paint on the walls or the design of the kitchen. It's about the numbers and you need to be making a decision about the numbers. Also, and I know we'll, we'll circle back to this and, and we keep circling back to this, but it is a personal passion of mine to clean up the industry in the buyer's agent space. And that's why I put my hand up for president of Reba. There's so many people that are proclaiming to be experts and they've potentially built a portfolio through um, the last 10 years where interest rates have only ever gone down and therefore that is one cycle from an an interest rate perspective. If you're partnering with uh, professionals that have built an investment property, an investment portfolio themselves through multiple interest rate cycles, through multiple property cycles, then you know that you're getting advice that covers a period that is not just a one-off event, a unicorn event. So again, property investing in in a low interest rate environment can often be very, very different to property investing in a high interest rate environment. So if you as an investor don't understand this sort of information, this is where partnering with professionals can really help to guide you. You talked also about scaremongering. I mean, this is one of the, the personal... Um, things that we talk about a lot on this this podcast, you know, last year we heard in Brisbane, it's the hardest, fastest um, decline in property values on record. We're talking to people that were reaching out to us 12 months ago that decided not to buy because they were scared. They're now reaching out to us today and they're saying we're ready to buy. And I feel so disheartened for them because they could have got a 10% discount this time last year, because that perception really impacted on confidence. And a lot of people sat on the sidelines. And now that people are more confident, they're all moving back in and that's driven the prices up. So again, ignore the headlines, focus on fundamentals, and you'll make better long-term purchasing decisions. There's my rant. (laughs) Beautifully said. I'm just going to compliment that because if we circle back to some of the mistakes I see people making around this very exercise, it's never about when because you should in, buy property every time you can. It's about what and where that you buy because, uh, you know, I, I just uh, had a really in-depth session with uh, Simon Presley yesterday, who I know you know well, uh, and he's done some in-depth research on the last 80 years of property performance across the country. Uh, the, the the old saying, safest houses, is true for a good reason. Mm. And that is that we may think that things are different right here, right now, but it's all, but all happened before. The principles are all the same. The performance, regardless of what's happening in, in the economy, whether it be rates or, or war or, or whatever major earth-shattering event that's about to end life as we know it that never actually occurs, by the way, uh, property just continues to uh, to do its thing. Uh, and often in the times when people have the biggest doom and gloom predictions, that's when property performs the best, as as we've just experienced post-COVID, as a matter of fact. Mm. So I, I think there's some real importance in in ignoring the no- noise. I mean, I haven't bought a newspaper or watched the news for 25 years. Uh, I do tap into a lot of property information and, and from people that I respect and have a really good track record of doing that. Uh, but the, the flow on from that also is that and uh, I see a lot of people who decide on a location, they'll buy whatever they can afford in that location. That's another massive mistake for me. Because if you're only buying units or apartments and you're on a growth strategy, uh, it's it's really going to hamstring your ability. Uh, and the second thing that I see a lot of mistakes made, particularly in investment space, is that I constantly hear about investment grade. Now, investment grade is 
spot on. It's got to tick all the investment boxes. But if you're investing in a property that ultimately you're going to rationalise down the track to then uh, create a tax-effective income flow, you want to be selling that property to the 70% of owner-occupiers, not restrict yourself to the 30% of investors. So you need to think with investment grade, but but make sure the property has owner-occupier appeal because that's ultimately who you want to be purchasing as the, as the, uh, the next part of your ongoing strategy. Well, makes perfect sense. And, you know, I think that um, this is why people need to partner with professionals and get professional and expert advice because they're going to be directed into an asset that's better aligned with their unique circumstances and not just an asset that their money can buy. And there's a very big difference between those two things. Can I ask a, a question before we we look to wrap it up? And I can appreciate for, for listeners, we have gone over time, but there's so much meaty information that we're we're talking about here. What would your advice be to the younger generation who um, we are told at the moment by the media, they find it hard to break into the property investing space or the home ownership space? What would your advice to that younger generation be? Really simple. Do what we did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it might feel tougher, but if you actually look back on it, and again, when we unpacked the exercise over the last 80 years with, with Simon, uh Every every year, there's been challenges for people trying to get into property. It, the, 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 the equations might have changed a little bit, but it's it's always been challenging because if it was easy, everyone would do it. Yeah. Uh, so the, the simple mass is uh, save like hell, live at home as long as you possibly can, and if you're not living at home, uh, then uh, board cheaply with some mates. Uh, when I started in property, I'd, I'd just come out of divorce, so it was ground zero for me. I, I didn't have two cents to rub together at that stage and at the tender age of 33. Uh, so I did exactly what I've just just mentioned, and we rent-vested to start. It wasn't even cool rent-vesting in those days. It just I, uh, by good fortune, rubbed shoulders with a really good accountant who ran the numbers for me and showed me that I was way better off renting cheaply close to the city where I was working at the time and investing in a, a property that I could afford that had heaps of potential, uh, those equations haven't changed. Mm. So, uh, you know, we we need to actually embrace saving and embrace delayed gratification. Uh, yes, if you've got the bank of mum and dad in the background there, great. Uh, and and But don't get uh, mum and dad to uh, put their house up as security because that puts them at risk. Actually, get mum and dad to take out a separate loan if they don't have cash savings so that they're limiting their exposure and potentially giving you the deposit to get started on the property ladder. But uh, And there's also still a, a heap of government incentives out there through first home buyers programs and, and a whole bunch of stuff that we can take advantage of that's going to increase your deposit levels. So while it's it's a makes good media stories to talk about housing affordability and how bad things are and it's never been worse... Uh, the reality is, if you actually uh, do the, the proper comparisons, it hasn't changed much. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just that we need to have some discipline. We need to uh, delay the gratification and and start putting bickies in the bank and thinking creatively about how we can get on the property ladder because there's a lot of people still doing it. Yeah, I totally agree with most of that, Bushy. I hope our three boys aren't listening to the bet about stay at home as long as you can and help get mum and dad. But anyway, <laughs> we'll we'll deal with that later. Um, but, you know, I, I and people probably get bored of me saying this, the first property I purchased and we talked about interest rates, I was paying about 18 and a half, 19% interest rates. Same. Money's pretty cheap now, I think, but um, that's my opinion on it. And, and little things about, you know, you don't have to buy something that's got all the bells and whistles. It doesn't have to be the best. 
and do some hard yards on it, paint it yourself. Do you get some friends around to have a barbecue and put some drinks on and they'll paint with you and you'll have a lot of fun. You'll enjoy life. And, and don't have to buy that latte. You can use a thermos and make an instant coffee. <laughs> but anyway, that's my, that's my rant as well. Um, I agree. Spot on. Mate, how do people get in touch with, with you if they want to, if they want to um, obviously some of the knowledge and how you help people at How Now Property? How do they contact you? Easy. Uh, I mean, we, we're people and we like to talk to people, uh, Scott. So pick up the phone, give us a call. Uh, 088, uh, and now I'm going to remember, not we'll remember put, the number, uh, but we'll put, I'll give it we'll to put you. put it in the show notes, the number. Yeah, that, that will be easy. Uh, it's uh, actually 83836090. Uh, jump on the website if you want to find out a little bit more about us. But if you really want to get a sense of who we are and what we do, there's, there's two main avenues. Have a listen to some of the podcasts that uh, like this one and the ones that we host through Get Invested and the Realty Talk Show under the what's now the Property Hub. But also, if you want to have a conversation uh, with us, uh, we've recently launched the Property Hub Collective uh, Facebook page, which is a, uh, a safe place where you'll never be sold to uh, with like-minded other hardworking Aussies that have got lots of questions they want answers around property. So uh, jump on uh, the Property Hub Collective on Facebook uh, and you can ask us anything at any time to assist you with any questions, queries, concerns, or issues that you're facing in the property front so that you can start to educate yourself. Because, I, you know, the, the the big exercise for me is to educate as many people as I possibly can so that they're making better informed decisions rather than making very expensive decisions on very limited information. Yeah, I love it. And look, it's been a great chat. Well, I know we did go over a little bit over time for our listeners, but a lot of really good information there. Your knowledge is um, is fantastic. And, mate, we'd love to have you back on again, the podcast um, in the future, obviously. If, if you've uh, got some time to have a little chat to us, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear it again. Um, but, look, as usual, thanks, Bushy, for um, for having a, having a chat to us today. I will let Melinda wrap it up as we normally do. And um, thanks very much for listening and bye for now. Yeah, thanks, guys. I yeah, really appreciate it. Look forward to coming back. on. I, I, you've got the same passion for property I, I have, so I'm very humbled to join you here today. We really appreciate you sharing your time with us and certainly your knowledge with our listeners today. One big takeaway that I'm going to share once again for anyone who is in that younger generation, and it's a point that you made there, Bushy, embrace delayed gratification. There's no better comment in in you know identifying the best way to make a start into the property purchasing space whether it's a home or an investment embrace delayed gratification and the second biggest takeaway from today optimize your borrowing capacity it's not all about the lowest interest rate so if you're not getting advice about how to optimize your borrowing capacity from your mortgage broker reach out to a professional team um, that bushy runs know how property finance. They'll be able to direct you in the right direction. Look, thank you so much for joining us once again on the Brisbane Property Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends and family. There's going to be a lot of information. If you know of someone that's going to select a buyer's agent in the near future, this episode is going to be a really good one to recommend for them to listen to before they actually engage with a a buyer's agent. As always, uh, we'd love for you to leave us a review and we look forward to speaking with you again next week. Until then, Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. 
If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.